Time for TM Views, uh, where we get an editorial perspective uh, from one of our experts. And we're very pleased to have joining us from Korea University Law School, Professor Kim Gi-chang on the line. Hello. Hi. Hello to you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. Uh, We're going to be talking about the uh, declaration to end the Korean War. We saw that President Moon Jae-in did this uh, recently at the UN General Assembly speech, and then he reiterated uh, that uh, uh, call uh, once again as well subsequently. As you know, some of the critics on the other side say, well, this is impractical. Uh, What what is he trying to do here? We don't understand. Um, What do you think about the declaration itself and and what President Moon Jae-in is aiming to do? I think it's a trust-building measure, uh, first of all, and then it is also an attempt to put an end to the very long-standing uh, tradition of red scare and fear-mongering and uh, incitement to war. So I think the aim is twofold. One is to change the course of um, a policy uh, towards or against North Korea, which was based on uh, hostility, fear, and distrust. And secondly, um, to prepare the ground for ultimate um, peace treaty and peace in Korean Peninsula. As um, there have been critics here, uh, both uh, among pundits in the U.S. as well as conservatives here in Korea, and one of them, uh, former North Korean uh, diplomat, now uh, defected to South Korea and now became a uh, People Party power uh, representative in the National Assembly, Taeyong Oh, he echoes some of these things that they're saying is, what is the sequence? Um, Denuclearization has to be on the table before the declaration. How, how does that all work out? Um, do you feel that these are simultaneously addressed issues or these are things that are uh, phased in, in terms of a uh, end of declaration? Mm-hmm. I'm sure um, uh, there are a lot of people who think or who feel that peace is very dangerous, very risky. They uh, Their preferred option is war and military confrontation. Uh, There are people who are definitely afraid of peace, that Mm. is for sure. Mm. Um, Secondly, uh, there has been a a persistent talk about uh, denuclearization. Um, Many different expressions exist. One among those expressions is uh, CBID, that Mm. kind of um, uh, talk. Uh, These buzzwords uh, I think ultimately are uh, unrealistic, uh, and uh, they the people who say those words they deep down they should also know that it's it's not achievable uh, because I mean <laughs> how how do they expect that North Korea would first of all give up their nuclear weapons and then put put their entire kind of destiny at the mercy of the other party who showed that they are not friendly at all. So it's, it's just just pathetic, unrealistic buzzwords. They keep saying people who really don't want peace, they keep saying CPID or denuclearization first. Uh, in my view, it's utterly unrealistic. And the most recent military parade, which North Korea showed a couple of days ago, 
in my view, is the clearest message that, please, you guys, forget about this mm. denuclearization nonsense or CVID nonsense. We have this level of military capabilities. Why do you expect that we do it first? If you are going to ask us to denuclearize, you should denuclearize first. So I think it, it's just t- utterly unrealistic. What is realistic? and doable is to start building trust. That's doable, that is realistic, and that would lead to some palpable, concrete, and useful results, which is march, little slow, uh, but steady march towards peace. I'm glad you brought up uh, the uh, parade and the 75th anniversary celebrations of the Workers' Party in North Korea. Uh, as you say, uh, a lot of these pundits uh, were talking about this display of the new ICBM and kind of this kind of show of conventional military uh, capability and hardware, uh, but also much attention being paid to Kim Jong-un giving his address. I think that focus was on him uh, shedding tears uh, as he was uh, sympathizing with the plight of his uh, people. But he also had some words of um, perhaps future engagement with South Korea post-COVID-19. Do you take his comments to be optimistic or uh, do you think there is some ambiguity there? Um. I don't think there is much ambiguity there, uh, but um, I think one should take the message um, without 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 um, discrediting it outright or without discrediting it uh, unsupported by evidence. I think two messages are very significant. One is Kim Jong Un made it clear that. North Korea does not have intention to attack. That mm-hmm. is something very, very useful, very significant. All their military capabilities, including the shiny, brand new ICBM, very, very enormous ICBM. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think it's capabilities that count because every country, every decent country in the whole world, they are all you know armed to the teeth. What really counts is intention. And the United States obviously does not have intention to attack South Korea, for example. U.S. does not have intention to attack U.K. or vice versa. Um, Intention is very, very important. And North Korea made it clear uh, through the leader's speech that North Korea does not have intention to attack South Korea or attack U.S. You guys are constantly kind of pumping up this fear-mongering against us, but we don't have intention. But I think North Korea has, in the past, been using very, very different discourse, very belligerent discourse, mm. but very significant change there. Secondly, towards South Korea, the message is clear. North Korea wants peaceful coexistence, friendly relationship. That is made clear yet, yet again, because... After that incident of some some South Korean uh, official who was shot in the North Korean uh, territorial water or some ambiguous uh, high sea area, uh, Kim Jong-un made a very frank apology to South Korean people as an effort to you know, maintain good relationships. Now, in the recent speech, he made it even clearer that North Korea wants 
friendly relationship. And all these signs are good signs, in my view, towards peace declaration and ultimately peace treaty in the South uh, Korean Peninsula. Yeah, very important points there because uh, essentially, uh, as you describe it, uh, Kim Jong-un is, uh, as they say in the Western terms, he's taking it off the table, the, the idea of attacking uh, either South Korea or uh, their allies like, like the U.S. Whereas on the other side, you, you do see, regardless of all the engagement and all that, the U.S. always kind of explicitly says nothing is off the table, including right nuclear strikes or, or uh, any kind of preemptive attack on North Korea should things not go their way. That's been longstanding U.S. policy, Professor Kim. Going forward with the U.S. elections, uh, I have to frankly say, I think a lot of people have given up on Trump being, uh, regardless of his intentions, having the competence to be able to broker uh, a substantial deal with North Korea and looks like time has ticked on his political career uh, after November, uh, if you believe the polls. Uh, you have, I've, I've read some of your tweets, um, decidedly a bit more skeptical, let's say, <laughs> with uh, Joe Biden and his uh, intentions uh, with the peace process here in North Korea. Could you elaborate on that point? Um, I think what Trump did, um, in spite of all his shortcomings and very disappointing performance, no doubt, what Trump achieved is to make North Korea as, as, uh, uh, as an entity, a reality. Um, as, a, as a leader of a country, Kim Jong-un is a leader of a country who is you know, on the same level as uh, the leader of U.S., having a summit meeting. That is an enormous achievement. That is something which no previous U.S. government or U.S. president uh, were able to achieve. Um, one has to accept the counterpart as, as, as some sort of an equal partner before something um, meaningful diplomatic steps can be taken. While U.S. presidents maintain that we don't want to deal with this dictatorship or these kind of uh, uh, criminal uh, groups, no diplomatic solution can be found. Trump has changed that. Mm. I think that that is something he, he did for, 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 for good. The rest is uh, very disappointing, obviously. Yeah. Um, about Joe Biden's stance to uh, North Korean policy or or Korean Peninsula issue in general, he has been, you know, in in the Democrat mood in the sense that he has been criticizing whatever Trump did, right. including meeting Kim Jong Un. That is disappointing. I think Democrats in general had become surprisingly hawkish while Trump was pursuing engagement policy. That's a very disappointing aspect. Um, so that, that's the, my reasons for being cautious about Joe Biden's approach. However, most recently, I think it was some, something like yesterday or the day before yesterday, news, news came out that Joe Biden himself announced that he would be willing to meet Kim Jong-un to discuss without any, you know, unrealistic preconditions like CEID. That is something very encouraging. And I hope that um, whoever gets elected uh, president of the United States in November, um, I hope that North Korea and South Korea play much greater role rather than U.S. leading the, 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 uh, the, the show. I think it's North Korea and South Korea 
who have to lead the show. And uh, the very first step should be peace declaration. And uh, I, in my view, ultimately, even peace treaty, the, from legal point of view, the signatories of peace treaty, many people are confused that maybe U.S. should be signatory, maybe mm-hmm. China should be mm-hmm. signatory. No, in my view, they are all wrong. The signatories of ultimate peace treaty is North Korea and South Korea. South Korea and North Korea are the parties at war. I don't think U.S. was at war. I don't think U.K. was at war. United Nations Korea. Command? Yeah, it was United Nations who sent military. United Nations was not at war. It was North Korea and South Korea. These two governments were at war. U.N. sent military. It's not the warring nation. The warring nations were South Korea and North Korea. These two warring nations, these two governments, must ultimately be the parties to peace treaty. Once these governments sign peace treaty, the military, they just have to obey mm-hmm. the government's decision to, to, um, to sign the peace treaty. So that's the, the legal point of view. But I think realistically, obviously, you know, U.S. and uh, China, they should all kind of give blessing to right. this peace treaty. Yeah, and that's fascinating to see if uh, the Moon administration will be so bold as to be able to uh, pursue that uh, strategy going forward uh, post-election, whoever is uh, in the presidency of the U.S. Uh, But uh, fascinating indeed. Professor Kim, as always, thank you so much for your insights, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.